at your house this morning, Lord, and we just uh, want to say we love you and we thank you, Lord. We thank you for all those that have sacrificed over the years and uh, to help us, Lord, to have this opportunity to come into this place today. Uh, we thank you for uh, who you are. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. We thank you, God, um, that you are always there for us. And, Lord, we just pray as we uh, continue in this service today, we pray for Brother Darrell as he lifts up your word. Uh, God, speak through him. Uh, those things that you would have us to hear. Continue to be with us in the song service. We just want to always give you the praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
Welcome you to take your Bible with me in uh, Hebrews chapter 2, the last two verses of that chapter 17 and 18. The title of the message today is, He Had to Be 
Uh, and the question is, why did Jesus have to be made like us? Why did Jesus have to be, have to be made like us? Hebrews chapter 2, 17 through 18. There's an outline of this on the back side of your announcements if you'd like to use that. Some of it will be on the screen. The text, uh, the scriptures, therefore, verse 17, in all things, Jesus, he had to be made like his brethren. That's us. He had to be made like us. God had to become man. Jesus had to be made like us. And the text continues, uh, that or so he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. That's the first uh, thing I want you to see out of that verse. In verse 18, it'll be for us. Verse, verse 17 is he had to be made man for God. To be a faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God. To make propitiation or atonement or payment for, our, for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted, and that's us. Why did Jesus have to be? He had to be made. He had to become man uh, for, from, for God, for God's, for, uh, God's purposes, and then he had to be made man for our purposes. Go on to... Let's look uh, specifically at verse, verse 17 and on your outline it says from God's perspective, okay? The two words that I want you to see, he had to be made like his brethren, like us, so he could be a merciful and a faithful high priest. Move, move on to that screen. Merciful, the mercy of God. Faithful is the truth the truth of God, the justice of God, what God has said. So he, he has to be both. I'm, I'm going to explain that. This is important. This is an important doctrinal thing. It's important for you to get, for me to get, for us to be, explain, to be able to explain to someone else. Most of our culture doesn't get this. And they don't understand this. And they don't, so therefore they don't understand, well, what's the big deal about Jesus anyway? Okay. So he has to be made like us. He has to become man so that he can be a merciful and a faithful high priest. I know I put, I put merciful first and put faithful next because that's the way the scripture does. But I'm going to actually invert that and deal with faithful first. Faithful is the truth. It's the justice of God. It's what God has said. Here's a problem that God has. For instance, in the garden the very first sin Eve reached up when she was told not to she reached up and, and took fruit off of the tree and she was told do not take of the fruit of the tree do not do not eat it because in the day that you eat it you will at least begin to die all right so she knows that she's been told that you take a you you doesn't really matter what it was that God said no to that just happens to be the thing and so she took it and she began to die God is uh, faithful. He's just. He always does what he says. Now, if God starts not doing what he says, he's not faithful. You can't really trust him then if he's not really doing what he says that he'll do. And he made it very plain to Adam and Eve both. This is what will happen. You pick the fruit. Now, just imagine a God when he saw what Eve did and she gives to her husband and, and, and so they come to God and say, we're sorry, give us another chance. We're sorry, give us another chance. And what would happen if God would say, all, all right, all right, that's, that's okay. I mean, you're human. You're human. And so humans make mistakes, so I'm going to give you another chance. What would happen? Okay, so, well, God gave us one chance, and so maybe, you know, I don't know what the next thing would be. It might not be fruit. It might be something else. We'll try that again. And, and you see, if God doesn't do what he says he will do, you can't trust him. 
and you begin to uh, push the boundaries more and more because you don't really think that he's going to do what he says that he'll do. Now, he's told Adam and Eve the wages, and that's, that's how I'll just say it the way Paul says it in Romans chapter 6, 23. And I'm not, I'm not going to do the whole verse, though, just the first part of the verse. The wages of sin is death. He told Adam and Eve the, the wages of that sin is death. That's what it is. That's what it is. And that's what it will be. Because he's faithful and he's true and God means what he says. And he's not going to change what he said because that, then he's not faithful and he's not true. So the wages of sin is death. Now there, that's the, the faithfulness, the justice. The, there's you know, a lot of words we could use. The, the, the truth, all right, that's who God is. And uh, sin does bring death. Now, the writer in Hebrews chapter 2, verse, verse 17, said Jesus had to be made like us as things pertaining to God. He has to be a faithful high priest. But the other word, actually the one we use put up first on the screen and on your outline, is merciful. There's God's problem. Somebody said it this way, and I use this quote as being in our announcements quite a few times or on, a, on an outline quite a few times. I can't remember who said it, but the quote goes like this. God's problem is not that God can't do things. God's problem is that God loves. And love complicates the life of God the way it complicates every life. God's problem is that he can't do things or he can't make things. God's problem is that he loves. That's the problem. That's the problem that, that God has. And he made it for himself because he made us. This is talking about the love, but specifically the word mercy of God. Because now he can't go back on what he said the way parents should do. He can't go back on what he said. He can't change that. He can't say, well, okay, I'm going to let it slide this time. He can't do that. Why? Because he said he wouldn't do it. And so he can't. The Bible, I, I like the way the Bible puts this, God who cannot lie. It does, the Bible doesn't say God who chooses not to lie or God who usually doesn't lie. The Bible says a God who cannot lie. He cannot sin. It's not that he chooses not to sin or, or it's, it, he doesn't sin most of the time. It's that he, that he cannot. So now there's this struggle that God has in the, the faithfulness, the justice. I'm gonna, I will do what I said I would do. The justice of God. And now on the other side is the mercy of God. Because now he looks at man and he says, I hate this. I hate what's happening. I hate that Adam and Eve are... are dying now I hate that and he and he looks at us and then God says I, I hate what you're having to go through I hate it that you're lost I hate it that that you're going to hell I hate that I hate that and I just can't hardly stand that I can't stand that I can't stand by and watch that because that's the mercy of God he so there's this there's this struggle this complication in the life of God where you have the justice of God, he will do what he said he would do, the, the mercy of God because he hates the fact that you didn't believe him and that you disobey him and that you, uh, you intentionally don't do what he says to do or not do what he says to not, however that goes. You intentionally disobey. We intentionally disobey and he hates that. That's the mercy of God where he, his heart let me just put it this way. God feels. That's the one reason you feel. Because God feels. I don't know. I think it's easy to get in our head when we talk about the majesty and the greatness of God that how can somebody like that feel? But he absolutely does feel. For you. How is God going to reconcile the justice of God? He cannot change that. The wages of sin is death. How's that verse end, though? That's not how that verse ends, is it? 
But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's what culture does. They, they misunderstand the justice of God. And they, we, they tend to believe and tend to get in, their, in our heads, their heads, that, that, you know, God just forgives. It's okay. I'm, o- I'm okay. God just forgives. Why? Because he loves me. He certainly does. So he sent Jesus Christ, his son. Jesus is the one who bridges that impossible place that God is in where he has to he has to satisfy the justice part of God and he can satisfy the mercy part of God where he just can't stand it he just cannot stand by and watch his children die without doing something and so he sins sins Jesus and that brings the next screen which is grace Grace is where the justice of God and the mercy of God meet. Grace is where Jesus comes in. It's more than love. And it's different than love. Because there's a payment included in the word grace. Uh, John 117, it's on your outline, but it will be on the screen. For the law was given through Moses. The justice of God, what God said. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so in Jesus, you have this person who can satisfy both of the issues that God must see, and that's the justice and the mercy. If you're looking at your outline, this is a statement, a redeemer, Jesus, who satisfies the merciful heart, and the righteousness of God all at once. Who else could do that? Who else can fill that role? And that's why in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby man must be saved. There is no other way. Now, I'm going to invite you to look at the screen, or you can turn with me if you would prefer to Revelation chapter 5. And this scripture came to mind when I was uh, thinking about this doctrinal point. And I read it, and I read it again. And what I want to do is just go ahead and read the whole chapter of Revelation 5. It's not very long, but the, the part I wanted you to see takes up about half of it. And I said, well, let's just go ahead and read the whole thing. Because I like, I like the whole thing. And there's nothing wrong with reading the Bible in church. So we're going to read in Revelation chapter 5. Just read the whole chapter. But the first part of the chapter is what I wanted you to see. That there's no one else who can fill this role. And this, but this role must be filled to meet the requirement of justice and to meet the requirement of mercy. Because God, most, both must be filled and both must be used. Revelation 5, you're welcome to read in your Bible or on the screen. John writing, And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll? and to loose its seals. Who can do that? Is there anybody who can do that? And, and no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So there's a search in heaven. Who can open the scroll? Who can do it? No one was found. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, because it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. 
sent out into all the earth. Then he, that lamb, came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, that first part that we just read is what I wanted you to see. That's what, what originally came to my mind. There's no one else who can fill this role. And that's what John saw. There's no one else who can meet that requirement of God. So th that's what we just read. The lamb was able to, though. But I read on, and from, so from this point on, if we read the rest of the chapter, it's, it's a scene in heaven, and John sees what's going on there. I want you to find yourself here. If you're in Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus, I want to see if you can find yourself because you're, you're there. John saw you there. And I want you to see what you'll be doing, part of what you will be doing in heaven. Now, we're not in verse 8, but I want you, as we read along, see if you can locate yourself now, we, uh, let me read verse 8 again. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, now just, just them, fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, the prayers of the saints would be what? Ours. Okay? There's a scripture in Malachi, maybe? Where our prayers are bottled up? No, our tears, because of our prayers, are bottled up. Interesting. But these are the prayers of the saints. I believe God desperately loves to hear you pray. Okay? I do. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals and for you were slain and have redeemed, bought back us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and, and nation. And have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. He has redeemed us. It isn't that God just, okay, I'll, I'll just forgive sin. It's not like that at all. That sin has been paid for. That sin has been bought. Your, your sin debt has been paid for. It's not just forgiveness. It's forgiveness that has been bought at a price. Then I looked in verse 11. John said, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of Thousands. Now that is the angels, the living cre creatures that John saw, and the elders. It isn't us yet, is it? We're not there yet. But even those are just an almost in innumerable amount. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Now, here we go. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And honestly, when that phrase has already been used the second time, under the earth, I'm not sure what that means. Other than everywhere, everybody, everywhere, okay? Every creature which is in heaven, the earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. That's what we'll be saying. That's what some of what we'll be doing in heaven. Why don't you just go ahead and memorize it now? Okay, and be, and be ready. That way, if, you know, if somebody points their finger at you, now what are you supposed to say? We'll already know. That's what part of what will be going on in heaven. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. So from God's perspective, back to Hebrews chapter 2, Jesus had to be because that 
person, the mediator, had to, there had to be somebody who can satisfy both the justice and the mercy of God. Now, on to verse 18, from our perspective, he had to be made like us. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. If Jesus is to be sinless, his sinlessness must be first tested by temptation. So he went through, there are several places in Scripture, it's more than just the, uh, the, the 40-day temptation by Satan. That's a big one. That's an important one. We learn a lot from, from that. But over and over, Jesus was tes- tested and tempted just like we are. It would be hard to have a close relationship with God if we weren't convinced that he knows how I feel. If I didn't really believe that God knows how I feel, I don't know if you've ever been there. I'm sure after a while, after a little bit of life, after you've lived life life a little bit, there will be. There will be these times. I think we, each of us in the room, will go through this in a different way. Some of us will struggle with this more than, more than others will. But all of us, at some point, will go through a time where we'll wonder, God, do you even care? God, do you even care? God, do you see me? God, are you seeing what's going on? Do you see what I'm going through? Because right now I feel like you don't. Right now I'm just, I just honestly not sure. That's where we have to go back to the scriptures, you know. But he was tempted just like we were, just like we are. He does know how we feel. We will go through these times where I don't feel like he knows how I feel. But the Bible tells us that he does. This is kind of what we've said before. It's what God has said. Okay? The next screen. It would be easy for me to pick out things that Jesus was tempted to do that are more obvious. But I tried to pick out some things that maybe we deal with that are not what we call, I don't know, Big limelight sins, big limelight tem- temptations. Honestly, uh, I just have to tell you things that we often just automatically go to. I am not, I'm not tempted to use drugs. Okay, that's just not me. I'm not tempted to, to use drugs. I am not tempted to go out and get drunk. Okay, I just, I'm just not. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm not. I'm just not. i tell you one thing. Uh, I, uh, I know other people. I, I am not tempted to steal. I don't get stealing. Okay, I don't get that. When something belongs to somebody else and you think you have a right to it, okay, I don't get that. And, uh, and I, I'm not tempted to do that. That's not mine. Why should I take that, you know? Why, why do people think that's okay to steal? It's not okay to steal from the government. Why? We're the government. <laughs> You're stealing from us. Why is that okay? I, anyway, 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 I could go on and go on with the big limelight sins that, you know, and a lot of you sitting here or watching this, you probably agree with that, kind of, you know, know how. Yeah, I'm not tempted to do that kind of stuff. There's a whole lot of other things that I do deal with, though, that aren't, you know, big limelight sins. Tempted to back up. I'm not sure that's always sin, but sometimes it is. Back up. Wait a minute. Back up. You're trying to do too much. You're getting too bold. Back up. I don't know how many times I've watched it. Watch it. Watch what you're saying. Watch it. You might offend somebody. Back up. Tempted to back up. Tempted to give in and quit. 
All these things Jesus was tempted with. How many times did they tell Jesus, you better be quiet. I wonder, I wonder, there's two times Jesus took a whip into church and drove people out of church with a whip. Now, I've never done that. <laughs> I've never done that. I wonder, the Bible doesn't say, after Jesus did that, I wonder how much flack he caught. You drove people out of church with a whip twice, not only once. And one of them was at the beginning of, of his ministry years, and the other one was at the end of it. And at the, the second time he did it, I wonder if the disciples watched that. Here we go again, you know. I wonder after he did that, after all the flack that he must have caught, you shouldn't have done that. Who do you think you are? You shouldn't have done that. Don't you think you made a mistake? And I wonder if he began to wonder. How, you know, how can God do that? Because he's also man. And he has to go through every temptation. He has to go through every doubt because faith always comes by going through the door of doubt. You only get to faith by going through the door of doubt. You have to think about it. You have to consider it. Am I doing the right thing? Am I on the right track? I'm not sure. You have to go through that. You have to go through that to get to faith. To be sure, you have to go through wondering if you are sure. Because you're never going to know until you wonder, until you go through the door of doubt. Doubt doesn't have to consume you, but you have to consider it. You don't know if you're right until you wonder if you're wrong. Okay? The people that are always right haven't thought much. They haven't experienced much. All right? Back up. Give in and quit. Lighten up's kind of the same thing. Lighten up. What's with the whip in church? Lighten up. You don't have to do that. Jesus say, well, I thought about it. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Jesus in that church and that day, this church needs it. <laughs> this church needs it. If you saw what they were doing in church, that church needs it. Choose an easier path. Tempted to just choose an easier path. Why do any of us think that doing the right thing is going to be easy. Where do you get that? You can search your Bible through. You will not find where doing the right thing is easy. So stop thinking that because you're thinking wrong. Doing the right thing is hardly ever. In fact, there aren't a whole lot of easy things, period. But doing the right thing, I have never found to be easy. All God has promised me is that it will be possible. He didn't say easy. So choose an easier path. We are tempted to stay angry. Stay hurt. Do you know anybody, surely isn't any of us, that like being angry? Do you know anybody that likes being hurt? How, how would you know? Because they talk about it all the time. That's just what they talk about all the time. You know what somebody said to me? You know what some, somebody did to me? You know what somebody didn't say to me? You know what somebody didn't do to me? They just, they like being angry. They like being hurt. There's no doubt that Jesus was angry, or you're not going to, you're probably not going to take a whip to church if you're not a little mad. So he was angry at times. The Bible says he was angry at times. And Jesus was hurt at times. It hurts what you said. It hurts what you did. But he didn't stay there. But some are tempted to stay angry, stay hurt, stay frustrated. Jesus went through all of those things. 
was tempted in all points like we were so that he could be this great high priest, this intercessor for us. He was tempted. How does the writer say that? He suffered being tempted. He's able to aid those who are tempted. It is not sin. It is not wrong to go through those temptations. It is wrong to stay there. Okay? It is wrong to stay there. Now, this morning, what I'm going to ask you to do is make a decision to not stay there. And obviously, I haven't listed them all. I just, I just as kind of when they popped in my head. But this morning, I make a decision. I don't want to stay there. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be that man, that person. I want to move on like Jesus did. But he knows how you feel. I'm going to ask you to stand and the musicians to come, and we're going to have our prayer time right now. I'm going to ask you to bow your head as we get ready to uh, pray. Lord, I need your help. I'm, uh, Lord, I just, I, I need your help. I uh, imagine if we went around the room, every one of us, of course, has a different story. There's different things going on in each person's life. No, no two of us feel the same, look at things exactly the same. No two of us are going through exactly the same thing. But Jesus knows how each of us feels. Jesus knows what each of us are experiencing right now. He's right here with us. Our God is not far off. As Paul said, our God is not far from any of us. He's right here. If you need to come, and this is what this, what this is. This is, our, this is our prayer time. This is what we do, pray. If you need to come and pray and just talk to Jesus about anything, something that maybe no, no one else sees, no one else knows, but, but you. And you talk to him. And, and I know, you know, have you ever felt this way? No one else knows how I feel. And sometimes that's absolutely true. No one else knows how I feel because I don't know anybody else that's going through exactly. So, yeah, sometimes it is true. No one else knows how I feel, but Jesus does. And so sometimes there are those things. And I, I, I'm going to just slow down right here. Right here. Sometimes I can't talk to anyone else about what's going on with me because they don't get it. But Jesus does. And so that's why a lot of times I have to spend a lot of time alone with Jesus because no one else gets it. And maybe they're not supposed to, but he does. He knows how I feel. He understands me. And before I even ask him, he knows what I'm going to ask. But he still wants me to ask. And I feel like right now that I, I feel like the Holy Spirit right now has hit the, the nail right on the head. That you're going through something and, and really no one else knows how you feel. And that's true except Jesus. And you need to come and talk to him because you really can't talk to anyone else. There are some things that you really can't talk to anyone else about, but you can talk to him about. If you need to come and pray, talk to Jesus about whatever's going on. That's what this time's for. While they play and sing, we invite you to come and pray. trust in me. 
His presence daily I surrender all I surrender all All to Thee, my blessed Savior I surrender all All to Jesus I Surrender, Lord, I give myself to Thee. Fill me with Thy love and power, let Thy blessing. 